Now, back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Welcome back to the Frontier Freedom Hour. This is Jeff Hunt with the Centennial Institute. We cover issues facing the Western United States from a Christian conservative perspective. We're talking with Mayor Richard Bailey, the mayor of Coronado, California, paradise, California. I'm out here on vacation with my family. We've been hanging out at the beach. My son and I went for a nice four-mile run just down Orange Avenue this morning. Enjoyed it. Uh, This is where the U.S. Navy SEALs train. It is North Shore uh, Navy base is here as well. Helicopters flying all around. You've got jets flying. It is a really cool city to be a part of. I strongly encourage you to come out and be a part of it. And they've got a nice, great, brilliant conservative mayor here as well. So it's always fun to come to a city that's actually thriving as opposed to the city that's like Denver that are going the opposite direction. We can get into all that. So uh, we're talking with Mayor Richard Bailey, who just got back from trying to climb Mount Everest. So you're waiting for the weather window. What happened next? So I'm waiting for the weather window, uh, which once again, you don't know if it's going to be anywhere from 24 hours or a week and a half long. And you're also waiting with the other 450 climbers that have spent a considerable amount of money, a considerable amount of time, bunch of training. How much does it cost, by the way? So the cost for Everest, if uh, if anyone's interested, uh, it's a big range. It ranges from the absolute minimum, and this is like a <laughs> bargain basement price of about $45,000. And that is an absolute minimum. And if anyone's looking at thinking, okay, well, if that's the price, maybe I should go, or I can, I can make this work, you get what you pay for. And, and the reason those bargain basement prices exist is because if you're on the mountain and you're having any trouble whatsoever, you are on your own. Um, so it ranges from about $45,000 on the low end to $150,000 on the absolute high end. I would say probably the median price is somewhere around eighty dollars $90,000. Yeah. Uh, so here we are. We're waiting for this weather window to emerge, and it keeps getting delayed, keeps getting delayed. Uh, People have finished their rotation now over a week or two, and you're literally just hanging out at base camp. Sometimes you might make your way back down to Kathmandu uh, for a couple nights to get a good night's rest, get a couple good meals in, and you fly back to base camp. Finally, the weather window looks like it's going to happen in about two to three days. So everyone's getting ready. Again, they're making sure their gear's on point, making sure they might go on another uh, acclimatization hike. There's a big rally the night before all the Sherpas go out to start setting the lines. And I have to tell the story because it really exemplifies the type of person my expedition leader was. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen the Netflix documentary, 14 Peaks, you must watch 14 Peaks. Uh, Nims Die, a, a Sherpa, uh, has really put the whole Sherpa cast on a map as being true, uh, not just mountaineers, but expedition leaders. And he's one of the world's best. And during this kind of rally, the night all the Sherpas are going out to set the lines, he speaks to them all in Nepalese. So I can't understand what he's saying, but I ask one of the fellow guys who's uh, bilingual, hey, what's he saying? And this fellow guide says, Nims, the expedition leader, just told all his Sherpas, your life is my responsibility. If anything happens to you on this mountain, you have my word, I will take care of your wife and children uh, for the rest of their lives. And that's the type of community the Sherpa cast is. They're just phenomenal human beings, incredibly strong physically and mentally, and just like a really beautiful people. So that night is kind of a big celebration because everyone's excited. And I'm having this thought, gosh, here we are in this like dome structure with like 30, 40 people. Everyone's coughing. 
I'm like, if I'm going to get sick, this is probably where I'm going to get sick. So I, I, I leave the tent and go to bed early that night. And sure enough, the next day I wake up, 102 degree temperature, body aches everywhere. And there's a massive snowstorm rolling into base camp. And that pretty much ended my trip because I could not shake the flu. And it took me about a week or so at base camp before I just kind of threw in the towel temporarily, flew back down to Kathmandu, try to get some good rest, try to shake this bug. I then flew back to base camp, started going up the mountain around 1 a.m. through the Kumba Icefall. And I got to a certain point, I checked my watch and I, I realized I just wasn't going to be able to get through the ice fall quick enough, given my condition, to avoid when the sun was coming up, it was going to start melting the ice and snow and would be subjecting myself to just risk that from a, a risk management standpoint, I could not justify. And I just knew that being sick physically, I wouldn't have anything in the tank to come back down, let alone go all the way back up. So that ended my trip. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I had a great expedition team. A lot of the climbers made it to the top, despite it being now the deadliest season ever. So 2023 really? turned out to be the deadliest season. Yeah, 17 people unfortunately died. Um, and much to my mom's uh, chagrin, I will be going back uh, to Everest next, su- next season to go ahead and try to uh, make the summit happen this time. So there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I've been a, a, a bit of a mountaineer, not, not nearly at that level. I've climbed Mount Rainier and a whole bunch of other 14ers in Colorado did Whitney Mountaineers route and all that stuff. Um, you have that natural internal drive that you're going to push yourself no matter what. But you've read enough books. You've read Into the Thin Air, John Krakauer, to go that there's a line that those guys sometimes cross that as a result, they never made it back. Right. So there, there's, was that ringing in your ears as you're looking at all this stuff? You're looking at your watch, you're going through the ice falls, you go, you think about that history and go, there's another day to summit this. Yeah, absolutely. There's that saying, if you keep pushing the limits, eventually you find it. And I had already been on the mountain when several bodies had been pulled off the mountain uh, for various reasons. And it's like when you see a body get airlifted out uh, right above you and you're like, gosh, that is a human being, you know, that, that person has a family, that person has a backstory, that person had hopes and dreams similar to mine. Um, you, it, it really hits you that this is real. Like this isn't just a, a trip to Disneyland, right? Where you're going to ride the rides and have a thrill, but you're going to walk away safely. This is no, you're in like, you're in the thick of it. And so, yeah, that was weighing heavily on me. And I know I, it is a very selfish sport. Mountaineering is a very selfish sport. It takes a lot of money. It takes you away from your friends, takes away from your family, takes you away from work. And so knowing, especially the stress my mom was going through, honestly, that weighed heavily on me. And I had, I had my commitment to her was that if I ever felt that if I ever lost my confidence, that I wasn't a hundred percent sure I was physically able to do it, I would turn around. And when I got to that point in the ice fall and I'm just like, there's no way I'm running out of time and there's just no way I'm going to be able to do it. The decision, it was easy from an objective standpoint. I know I can't make it. I need to turn around, but emotionally, gosh, I was, I was, if I'm being honest, I was depressed for like a good month or two. I'm probably still, uh, still feeling that a little bit mentally and emotionally uh, because it was such a major letdown to lose out on a, the opportunity in that moment to fulfill your childhood dream uh, because of something as simple as the flu. But at that altitude, something as simple as the flu uh, becomes a lot more complicated and it, and it can kill you. That's exactly right. I, I, I know the feeling well, two Leadville 100s where I ended up bailing about 75 miles in and you're just like... I. Uh, and you, you never forget it. 
Right. Right. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Right. Right. I put my family through this. I went 75 miles, 21 hours of running, all this stuff. And I just, my back just can't handle it that late in the game. But, um, but that's part of life. You know, you, you, you uh, reassess. You're not going to be successful in everything you do. So you got to reassess it. Um, when I climb Mount Rainier, another glacier peak, uh, I don't know if you've ever been up on the top of that, but that, that you leave at midnight you, because the snow is the best to climb at at midnight. And we climbed all the way till about 7, 8 in the morning. And what do you do at the top of Mount Rainier at 7 or 8 in the morning? You take a nap because you've been working really hard the whole time. And then you go back. So let's talk about your training regiment between now and next year. Obviously, you can't predict the flu, but um, how are you going to keep yourself in shape? How are you going to even get healthier, stronger? Do you have any uh, local mountains you want to climb? California's full of them. What's your plans for the next year? Yeah, great question. Actually, Rainier is the perfect mountain to do uh, to do trainings on, especially for anyone that's interested in getting into mountaineering because Mount Rainier has basically all of the elements that you would ever find in the Himalayas. Uh, so it's a, I'm actually planning to go to Mount Rainier uh, probably later this fall. I'll be heading down to Ecuador in a few weeks to go climb Chimborazo. It's actually the highest point on earth. So Everest is the tallest uh, at just over 29,000 feet. But Chimborazo in Ecuador is the highest in the sense that it is the, because the earth is not perfect, a perfect sphere, right? It's kind of like squished. Um, and because Ecuador is on the earth's equator, Chimborazo at just around 20, 21,000 feet is further away from the Earth's center than Mount Everest is. So I'm heading down to Ecuador in a few weeks to go climb that, uh, just to keep my mountaineering skills somewhat uh, on point, and then Rainier later this fall. Uh, so I'll be excited for that one. And then, yeah, uh, Everest is one of those, it's one of those physical challenges, just like a lot of endurance sports, where you have to have a certain physical baseline. And if you have that physical baseline, it really doesn't do much for you to exceed it greatly it's actually more mentally challenging after that point. If you have that physical baseline, if you could go run a marathon fairly comfortably, you probably have the physical strength to go climb Everest. The difficult part is everything, all the, all the mental tricks that get played on you. Um, and, and can you handle being in these cold and in this cold environment for over a month? Can you handle being away from your friends and family? Can you handle not eating very well and not sleeping very well? Um, and they all take a toll. They might not sound that tough in the moment, but go through it for an entire month and then get sick for a few days. And then ask yourself, all right, do I really want to stick around for another week and a half and then physically battle the elements to get to the summit? It will be the toughest thing you ever do physically, but it'll be even harder mentally. It's a great adventure. Yeah, it's, it's a great fun. adventure. We're talking with Richard Bailey, the mayor of Coronado, California, who just got back from his first Everest attempt, and he's going to be looking to go back next year. When we come back, I want to talk about his homelessness plan, because this is a really big deal in Denver. It's the top issue. We have a brand new mayor who's just going to continue the same plan of if we just continue to you know, provide housing and government services that will somehow address this homeless problem. You probably don't know this. Heritage Foundation years ago did a study that we have spent in this welfare system in the country three times more money trying to deal with the war on poverty and the welfare system than all the wars this country has fought combined. It is a huge amount of money, and it's not solving the problem. So when we come back, we're going to address his plan. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour, sponsored by the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. <laughs> 